I want to take you back to my senior year in high school, which was a couple of years ago, and um, just kind of share a story that happened then. Uh, I had some buddies, and one Saturday evening, they were like, hey, we want to go check out a couple of parties. And I, I said, hey, no, no problem at all. Um, we'll get in my 1979 white Chevy Monte Carlo with blue pleather seats. Yeah, thank you. And we will drive that sucker all over town, all right? Uh, I said, here's the deal. I don't drink, so I'm going to be the designated driver because you know, those guys were going to drink, okay? Um, and so that's kind of what happened that evening. Anyway, we, we get in the car, and a couple of guys actually get in the car, and they've got six packs of beer. I have no clue where they got them from or how they procured those. But they did. They brought them in the car. We drive around. We go to a couple parties. Of course, they, they were drinking. I was not. And uh, at the end of the day, I took them back to their homes, and everyone was safe. The next morning is Sunday morning, so it's church day, right? My dad's a pastor, so every time the church doors were open, we were always there. And, and we get into the sweet 1979 white Monte Carlo with the blue pleather seats, my brothers and I. Well, my middle brother, Jason, jumps into the back seat. Next thing I hear is, hey, Chad, what's this? Turned around, I looked. And it was a bottle cap from one of the beers that the guys had in my car. I said, hey, Jason, why don't you give that to me? It's not a big deal. Now, you have to understand a little bit about my brother, Jason, and I. I've shared some stories in the past. We, we didn't really get along. Uh, one time he threw a rock at the back of my head on purpose. Uh, not too long ago, I asked him why he did that. And he said, I just saw your head and I wanted to throw a rock at it. I put him in a headlock one night. I honestly thought I was going to pop his head off. Thankfully, someone came in and saved his life. We didn't get along real well then. We get along well now, but, but not back then. And, uh, and so I'm like, hey, Jason, why, why don't you give me that? He's like, nope, I'm going to tell mom and dad. I went into bribery mode. I was like, Jason, I will give you money. I will give you cars. I will give you trips to Tahiti. I will give you candy. I will give you anything you want. Please do not bring this to mom and dad's attention. And Jason, being the loving kid that he was, was like, too bad for you. I'm still telling mom and dad. Drove to church that day. And uh, I can tell you, I have never sweated so much in church in my entire life. Maybe some of you, you've been there before, right? The guilty conscience that I had, knowing what was going to happen later on that day, what was overwhelming. In fact, you know, back in the day, you went to Sunday school, and then you went to worship service, so you were there like two and a half, three hours. That whole day was just trouble for me. I think I remember praying to the Holy Spirit, to God, like, hey, do something to my brother before we get home. Maybe he loses it. Maybe you take him from this life. I don't care what it is. Just save me from this one moment. We get home, and the little snitch told on me. And we get home, and my mom and dad, as you can imagine, say, hey, Chad, we need to have a conversation. And for the next few hours, it seemed like, um, they talked to me about everything I talked to my kids about, like, hey, you know, underage drinking, you're not allowed to do that, and you shouldn't have alcohol in the car, and well, you bought the car, and it's in our name, and if you get caught, we're going to get in trouble. And these are all the warning signs we, we give to our kids today, right? But they're right, because I was guilty, and I knew it. I confessed, I asked for forgiveness profusely, and thankfully in the end, my parents did forgive me and I could keep driving and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes, sometimes in our life, we face this thing that we call guilt. And all of us, we carry guilt of some sort. 
Now, it could be that your guilt is kind of similar to mine back in your teenage years. Maybe your guilt is connected to a relationship. Maybe it's connected to your marriage, to dating relationships, to, to parenting your kids. Maybe your guilt is about decisions that, that you've made while you've been working. Maybe it's guilt while you've been on the golf course because you were cheating or you cheated on your, your taxes. Or maybe this guilt that some of us have is a lot deeper and a lot darker. But here's what we know about guilt. It becomes a burden. And it can become this thing that keeps us bonded in bondage. And not just for a few moments, but maybe for a lifetime. And we never feel free. Well, today we're going to continue the series called The Bad Boys of Easter. And in this series, we're looking at these six different people that are part of Jesus' last few hours on this earth. And as we look at each one of these, we, we see a part of ourselves in them. There, there's something about them as we look at them we're like, oh my gosh, that's me. But, but we can also see how Jesus is at work in all of this and, and the influence and the impact Jesus has on us. And, and today's not any different. We're going to meet a guy who is, he's stuck in bondage. He is guilty. He is condemned. But in the end, he is allowed to go free. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23 as part of what we're going to look at today. We've got a couple other passages, but we're going to spend most of our time here. A lot of what I'm going to read today is actually stuff we read last week, Daniel read last week. And I just want to let you know that that's kind of normal in a series like this because we're, we're so connected or these characters are so connected in these events that that's going to be normal. So I'm going to read some of the things that Daniel read last week. Starting in Luke chapter 23, verse 13, it says, Then Pilate called together the leading priest and other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading the revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty, so I'll have him flogged and then I'll release him. Not going to spend a whole lot of time here. Again, last week Daniel hit on this. Just a reminder, there's these religious leaders that are there with Pilate. Pilate says, hey, look, Herod and I, we've questioned, questioned Jesus. We've been around Jesus. We find him innocent, let us flog him, and then we'll let him be free. Here's how the crowd responds. Verse 18, Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him and release Barabbas to us. This is where we meet our bad boy for the week, this guy named Barabbas. The question is, who is Barabbas? Well, why are they asking for his release? Well, what I want to do here is I'm going to switch over to the book of Mark. We actually find something about Barabbas in each one of the Gospels. But in the book of Mark, we get a, a better understanding of what's happening and a little bit more about Barabbas. Look at Mark 15, starting with verse 6. It says, Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, any one that people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Let me tell you about the context here and the, kind of the population of Jerusalem. During non-festival times, scholars said the size of Jerusalem was somewhere between 20,000 and 250,000 people. Right? That's a, it's a pretty wide range. Most scholars have said it's got to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 75,000 people. 
But that was just a normal day. This isn't a normal day. This isn't a normal week. This is Passover week. And so you have all of these pilgrims who have come in from all over the world to be in and around Jerusalem for the Passover festivals. And so the, the, the size of Jerusalem, it's doubled. It's tripled in size. You can't even get people inside the city gates anymore. I mean, there's so many people there. They're actually encamped on the outskirts of, of the city there. Pilate knows, along with Herod, we just read this, that Jesus is innocent. Pilate really doesn't care that much about Jesus. He doesn't. He, he looks at Jesus and he's like, he's not a domestic threat. He, he's not a threat to me. He's not a threat to Rome. I'm not sure what the whole issue is here. But, but the problem for, for Pilate is a little bit bigger than, than Jesus. His issue is that he's got to make sure he maintains crowd control. Again, there are these enormous crowds that are there in this city because it's Passover week. The roads are snarled with traffic. It's not cars, it's people, right? They're moving around slow. It's time-consuming to go from one point to another. There's street vendors who are selling food and they're selling goods, pretty much like a normal day in Washington, D.C. Now, Pilate's job is in the, this mess is to keep the peace, especially this time of year. But again, he's got a potential issue here. He's got a problem that is brewing. This crowd shows up, and they want Pilate to release a prisoner like he's done in the past. From what we read here, it was a tradition that on this holy day, they would release a prisoner, whoever the people requested. And it's really about goodwill between Rome and the people that were there. But I want to talk about this crowd for a second, because I think there's a few things here in, in the movies uh, if you've seen any of these movies about the last few hours of Jesus' life, you have Pilate, and he, he's up high, and he's on this big stage, and, and you look out, and there's like thousands of people that are there. Uh, that probably was not the case at all. Uh, based on what we know where Pilate was, it was a small little open area. Maybe 100 people to 200 people are, are there. And, and the reason he would, he would come out in the open in those places, in that setting, because it was a closed-in space, his soldiers could watch, because Pilate's a target. The, the Jewish people are trying to get rid of people like Pilate, so he's a target. And so he knows in this setting he's, he's safe. There's not thousands of people there. They're going to rush the stage. There's a few hundred people, and he knows his soldiers are going to protect him. The second thing about this crowd is that, again, in the movies and maybe in our own mind, we have this, this picture of, of all of these, these people who a week earlier had been celebrating Jesus coming into town, and now, in a week's time, they have totally switched that. They hate Jesus, and they want him dead. I don't think that's who the crowd was. And based on what we read in Scripture, I think it kind of tells that, proves that to us. This crowd was made up of mostly religious leaders. Now, remember, this is Passover week, so you got all these religious leaders that are coming in from all over Israel to be there. And so the, the, the council, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, Caiaphas, we talked about them the first week, they're trying to get as much support as they can. And so they bring all these religious leaders into this little court. And then the people who are there who aren't part of the religious leaders' teams, they're people who are sympathetic to the religious leaders. And so, again, in our minds, we're like, oh, all the Jewish people hated Jesus and they were trying to get rid of him. I don't think that's the case at all. It's the religious leaders. And it's people who are sympathetic to the religious leaders. And so here we find this crowd in front of Pilate and they're asking for Pilate to give up Barabbas to them and to kill Jesus. 
Now, what do we know about Barabbas? We actually don't know a whole lot about Barabbas. We do find, again, part of his story in, in all the Gospels. If we go back to Luke 23, 19, so Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. There's four things we know about Barabbas from what we see in Scripture. First, he was an insurrectionist. Uh, he, he was part of this resistant, resistance movement trying to get Rome out of the holy city of Jerusalem, trying to get Rome out of the, the country of, of Israel. Now, we don't know if he's a leader or not. Again, in our minds, we've kind of painted this picture of like he's this leader of this resistance movement. Hey, I, I can tell you what, Pilate's not going to let that guy go. But he's a part of it. Maybe he led in some way, maybe some integral part to it. But, but we know he's a part of this insurrection that has happened. Second thing we know is he's a murderer. Uh, he murdered someone during this insurrection. Again, we don't know who that is. Uh, if he had killed a Roman citizen, again, chances are pretty slim that Pilate would have allowed this to happen. Now, it could have been a Roman citizen, or it could have been someone who was Jewish, who was a sympathizer to Rome. Again, we don't know. We know there's an insurrection. We know that in this insurrection, he ends up killing someone. But we also find out he's a robber. Uh, in the book of John, we read this. We read that, hey, Barabbas was a robber. Now, he's probably not being busted for camel jacking, okay? More than likely, his job, and maybe his main job in life, is to be a thief. And he's a thief because he's trying to support this resistance work. And, and so that's probably why he's in prison, too, is because he's robbing people so he can put this stuff on the black market so these insurrections can take place and so they can get rid of more of the Romans. So he knows Robert. The first thing we know is he was in prison. He's not just in prison either. He's, he's on death row. He's waiting to be executed. Because when there's an insurrection and you murder someone, especially if in some way they're connected to the Romans or are Roman, you're in really, really big trouble. And so here he is, he's in prison, and he's awaiting death. And so these are the things we know about Barabbas. Look at verse 20. It says, Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Again, Daniel talked about this last week. Pilate's trying to free Jesus, and the people are like, no, 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 let Barabbas go, get rid of Jesus. Verse 22, for the third time he demanded, why? What crime has he committed? I found no reason to sentence him to death, so I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. So one last time, Pilate tries to free Jesus once again, and the crowd will not allow that to happen. Verse 23, but the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. The crowd gets louder. They're demanding the death of, of Jesus. And Pilate's fears start to kick in. Remember, I told you his main role, especially during this festival week, is crowd control. And here are all these religious leaders, and these people are sympathetic to the religious leaders, and they're screaming and yelling, like, give us Barabbas, kill Jesus, crucify Jesus. Barabbas knows it wouldn't take a whole lot to get these religious leaders going in such a way that they could bring together a bunch of, of Jewish people and cause Pilate a lot of headaches. And, and he didn't want that. He, he didn't need that. He, he's worried about insurrections. He's worried about riots. He's worried about crowd control. He's worried about his job because if that happens, he's going to lose his job. And, and for you to lose your job in that role because you've allowed this to happen, it meant death for, for Pilate. So Pilate says, it's time for me to keep the peace. 
And here's what Pilate does. Verse 24. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. As they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. In the end, Pilate just gives up. He's like, this is not, it's not worth it. It's time for me to move on. He doesn't care that the religious leaders are envious and jealous of Jesus. That's not even important to him. I mean, he sees it and he knows it, but he's like, I don't have time to deal with that. Neither does he really care who Jesus is. I mean, for him, Jesus may be innocent, but it's not worth it. An innocent person to die, hey, no big deal for him as long as he can control the crowd. So here he is, he's saying, hey, it's time for me to move on and keep the peace. And so he condemns Jesus and he sets Barabbas free. As we look at these few moments that we know of in the life of Barabbas, the question is, how are we like Barabbas? And then the other question is, how do we see Jesus at work in our life like we see Jesus at work in Barabbas' life? Let me share with you what we see here with Barabbas. The first thing is that Barabbas was guilty. Uh, there's no question that Barabbas was a bad boy. Again, insurrectionist, murderer, robber, he's on death row. And, and maybe for him, he looked at his guilt and kind of thought, hey, it's all been worth it. You know, they, they've said I'm guilty, and, and yeah, I am. It's been worth it. I, I, I'm doing something that, that I believe in. It's a badge of honor for me. But I wonder if deep down, he struggled with it. And, and the reason he struggled with it, because he knew what his punishment was. He knew that death was imminent. Death was coming in the next few hours for him because of what he had done. When you think about your life, how much guilt do you carry? And again, guilt so often it comes from the past, right? Now, whether that past is decades ago or just this morning, we, we carry that guilt and the things that we've done, things that we've said, how we've treated the people that we say we love, the decisions that we've made that hurt us, that hurt our family or hurt the people who love us, or the words that we use that have crushed someone else's soul. And yet here we may be years later and we still carry that guilt in us. And that guilt it still affects the relationships that we have. It affects our, our physical state. It affects our mental state. It affects us spiritually. It affects our daily lives. Because that guilt is there. But thankfully, we understand that guilt is there because we're messy people. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're a messy person. So am I. You're an imperfect person, and, and so am I. So here's the deal. Just like Barabbas, you and I, we're all guilty. But then that leads us to this next piece here with Barabbas. Barabbas was condemned. Uh, let me share with you a little bit about the criminal justice system back in those days for the Romans. They believed in punishment and deterrence. Uh, they wanted to punish you in such a way that it would deter other people from, from ever wanting to, to break the laws. And so for most people, just like we see here with Jesus, the trials were swift. I mean, they, they happened pretty quickly. And the punishment that came was even swifter. 
There, there wasn't time for you to go to the appellate court and then ask for, to, to appeal the sentence, right? That, that's not happening here. If you were found guilty, then they were going to just go ahead and punish you. And some of these punishments were so humiliating and painful and horrible and excruciatingly long that specifically if you were a Roman citizen, they would tell you, hey, we're going to give you an opportunity to take your own life so you don't have to experience what you're getting ready to experience. So think about trying to live in that kind of culture. You're going to follow the law and the rules as much as you can. Here's Barabbas. He's guilty. He's been condemned. And he knows his punishment is coming quickly and it's coming to him in the next few hours. And in fact, guess where and when this is going to take place? It's going to happen here later that day. It's going to happen on this place called Golgotha. And more than likely, there are going to be these two other thieves right beside him. And we're going to talk about those guys in a couple of weeks. That's where Barabbas was supposed to be, to be crucified, just like these other two thieves. He was condemned. You and I were condemned too. I mean, there are three things in life that we can count on. We can count on death. We can count on taxes. We can count on the Washington Commanders never winning the Super Bowl, right? Let's just be honest. Now, those last two are frivolous. They really don't mean anything. It's that first one, though. It's death. Death is imminent. It's coming at some point. And the reality is, you and I, we deserve to die. We're guilty. We're not living the life that we have been called to live. These decisions that we have made over time... We're guilty of making poor, bad decisions. That, that, that we're, again, we're not living this life that God created for us. That, that we've hurt others, we've broken promises, we've said and done terrible, terrible things. And spiritually, you and I, we, we deserve death. And that's all because of our sins. Now, and I could stop right there and tell you that's it. And we can leave and we can be fully depressed or I can tell you the good news that happens in this story. Because sometimes I think we overlook this piece to Barabbas. Not only was he guilty, not only was he condemned, but Barabbas was freed. He was freed. One of the things I always ask you to do is to or invite you to put yourself into the, the people that you're reading about when you're reading Scripture. Right? So we're reading on a Sunday morning. Put, put yourself in, into that person's sandals, Right? And so as we're reading this today, put yourself into Barabbas's sandals. Because in a movie, here's how it all kind of plays out. You got thousands of people there. Here's Pilate on this big stage. Pilate's in the middle. You got Jesus on one side and his head is down. He's been beaten. He's bloody. He's worn out. And then on the other side, you have this, this, this crazy looking guy. I think we have a picture of him here. This guy right here. Who knew TMZ was around 2,000 years ago and got this picture of Barabbas? If you've ever seen one of the Jesus movies, I don't know which one it is, you've probably seen this guy. Not the guy you want to see on the street, right? Or anywhere near wherever you are. I mean, you're going to run from this guy. Now, in the movies, he's up there on the stage with Jesus and, and Pilate. The reality is, he's on death row. And so he's stuck back in some jail cell somewhere. And so again, let's kind of put ourselves in, into Barabbas' sandals and, and see how this would have played out. He's there. Here's what he knows. I'm getting ready to die. And he knows exactly how he's going to die. He's going to die by crucifixion. And you know what? He knows he should because he's guilty and he's been condemned. And the punishment's coming. But here he is in this, this jail cell. 
And he hears the doors to the jail open. And he hears the guards talking. And he hears them walking down the hallway to, to where he's located. And then he hears the keys go into his lock and the door unlocked and, and it gets opened. And in and, and that moment, as he sees this, he's thinking in his mind one thing. This is it. This is it. He's expecting those guards to say, hey, Barabbas, the end is here. Hey, Barabbas, it's time for you to die. Hey, Barabbas, you're going to be crucified here in the next few moments. That's what he's waiting for. But what does he hear as they open those doors? He hears, hey, Barabbas, you are free. I wonder what that moment was like for Barabbas. I'm guessing he's like, am I being punked, right? Is Ashton Kutcher going to show up in front of some door? Where are the cameras? Because in his mind, he's like, this cannot be real. I'm supposed to die. How is it that instead of dying, I am free? The guy that was guilty, the guy that was condemned, is now going to be set free. Well, why did that happen? It happened because Jesus stepped in to his spot. He stepped into his spot. Jesus gave his life for Barabbas. Here's Jesus who wasn't guilty. What happens to him? He gets condemned to death. Here's Barabbas who was guilty. And what does he get? <laughs> he gets to be set free. I want to share with you this morning a big uh, theological phrase of what Jesus did here. I try to stay away from big theological words and phrases because that's not how real people talk, okay? Like you get in some theological circles and they're throwing out all these big jargon words and phrases and it's like, it's like Theo bros just getting together, trying to impress each other as they share these big words. I don't like doing that because, again, that's not how real people, real people talk. And it's not like tomorrow you're going to go to work and here's what you're going to say to your friends. Like, hey, can you, can you tell me your thoughts on anthropomorphism? as it relates to cessation theory and how your eschatology connects to penal substitution and your theodicy. Do any of you ever ask those, those questions at work? No, because that's not how real people talk. That's, that's alien in many ways. But I want to share with you this, this word or this, this phrase here um, because it, it fits so well. Substitutionary atonement. It's a big phrase, right? Big words there. We never have used that, at least since I've been here. Substitutionary atonement. Let me just kind of give you the basic premise of this. You and me and Barabbas are guilty. We're guilty of not living the life that God has called us to live, the, God that, the life that God intends for us to live. And here's the next piece of this. You and me and Barabbas are condemned we're condemned, which means we deserve death. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus stood in our place. He stood in our place as a substitute for our guilt, for our condemnation, for our sin. And because Jesus did that, you and I and Barabbas are freed. Romans 3, excuse me, 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Barabbas was guilty, but Jesus took his place 
and he freed him. Now think about this. Jesus literally took Barabbas' spot on that cross between those two other thieves. That wasn't supposed to be Jesus' spot. That was supposed to be Barabbas' spot. And here's what Jesus says. Hey, hey Barabbas, I got you. I'm going to take care of this for you. I'm going to step into your place on that cross. You know what Jesus says to us? He says the exact same thing. He says, hey, I know you're guilty. I know you're condemned. I know you haven't lived the life that that God's asked you to live, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take your place on that cross so you can be free. How does this play out for us in our lives today as we think about this gift that God has given us by by putting Jesus on that cross instead of us? Here's what I would say. A couple of things here. The first one is let go of your guilt. Uh, Irma Bombeck is a comedian. She once said, guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. And it's true, isn't it? The guilt is there. That, that guilt kind of builds into this thing that we call shame. And in the church setting, it's terrible. When I say church, I mean church in general, not this church specifically, but church in general. We've kind of made, made shame like this feeling that you should always carry with you. That like you've messed up, you're, you're broken, and nothing's ever going to fix that. And now you've got to live with that guilt. You've got to live with that shame the rest of your life, and you can never let it go. Well, hold up a second. There's this guy named Jesus who jumped up on that cross, didn't jump on the cross, was put on that cross as a substitute, right? To me, that means that guilt and that shame that we have, we can let go of. Because that shame, it'll it'll infiltrate your relationships. It'll infiltrate your your mental being, your your spiritual well-being. I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll mess up every part of you. If you continue to carry that guilt and shame, there's that burden never let go of and yet the best thing we can do is let go of that guilt and deal with that shame now it happens in two ways first thing i would say maybe for some of us it's counseling that that we need counseling we need to be able to talk through what we've been through what we've experienced what we've done because we carry a lot of guilt we carry a lot of shame whatever that may be we talk a lot about safe harbor christian counseling and our connection with them Man, if you are there and you've got that past and you've got that guilt and shame, let's let a professional help you walk through that. So you can contact us, office at thejourneynova.org, and we would love to get you connected and get you to a place where you can experience what that freedom feels like and that burden you're carrying can be lifted. But that means heading into the second next step here is let Jesus free you. Let Jesus free you. Jesus substituted himself for us. Barabbas should have been on that cross. You should have been on that cross. I should have been on that cross. But Jesus says, nope, here's the deal. I'm going to take your place. Maybe for some of us that are here today, maybe for at home watching, maybe we have to be reminded that we're free and that Jesus set us free by giving his life for you and for me. But maybe for some of us, this is our first step when it comes to our spiritual journey, that we're just beginning this process, that we've got that guilt and that shame. We, we know we're not living the best life that God has created for us. And maybe that first step in our spiritual journey is to be baptized. And if you're here in this room today, there's a connection card in front of you. You can fill that out and you put it in the offering boxes in here or in the lobby. 
Uh, you can hit that QR code that's in front of you. you can, I think it's the second or third button down. You can say, hey, I, I want to know more about baptism. If you're at home, there should be a link that pops up. Sign up for baptism. We've got about six or seven people on Easter Sunday who are looking to be baptized. They're going to be free. They're going to take that step. They're going to let go of that guilt and shame. And they're going to say, hey, hey, Jesus, thank you for jumping in place of me. And for all of us, that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus takes our place on that cross and says, hey, I've got this for you, and now you can be free.